in the middle. And what a finish that is. Mason Mounts. That is extraordinary from Fikayo Tomori. Loses Callum Hunt to the door. And there it is. His first goal. For Chelsea, the teenager, a moment he will remember. Hello and welcome back to the Chelsea Spot Podcast. You can find all our links in the description, including our Spotify, iTunes, our website. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram if you haven't done already. Today, I'm delighted to joined, to be joined by Sam Tai um, at STaiFootball on Twitter. Sam Tai of the BR Football Ranks Podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. Thank you so much for joining me, Sam. Oh, no worries, dude. Uh, pleasure to be on. Thanks for inviting me and uh, here, to, here, to, here to help bring Chelsea fans down a couple of notches after a fantastic summer. I'm sure I'll be super popular uh, by detailing all the reasons why I'm concerned about you. Meanwhile, everybody's talking about how great a summer you've had. So uh, I'll be Mr. Popular, but I'm happy to do it. (laughs) Well, I think we needed it really after, you know, all the recent episodes chatting about how all the signings are fantastic, how everything's going to fit in. But maybe we we haven't uh, shed light on the things which may not go so well and it's important to to mention that but first just want to get your opinions on the transfer window I mean it's hard not to be overwhelmingly positive I think yeah I mean if all you've been talking about for the last like three weeks is how great a window you've had then I wouldn't blame you because as it's <laughs> as it stands you're on a you're on a grade a or maybe an a minus I don't know uh of a transfer window like it's it's just gone it's just gone incredibly well and you know, just glancing through my my spreadsheet here of, of of the transfers that all the Premier League clubs have made, there are a couple here that still haven't signed a player. So for you to have six in the door, um, four of which are like big, like big names, big purchases, big fees, it's been it's been amazing. Like Timo Werner for fifty odd million, you can't say no to that. Well done for pouncing. Chilwell, a little bit too much money for me, but still homegrown, good good fullback, good build for the Premier League, twenty three years of age or so. Love Kai Havertz, love Ziyech. I think Thiago Silva's an astute signing considering the situation. And Malang Sar, one for the future again, quite astute. So like, there's nothing really to knock, is there? I mean, you've lost a couple of players for free. Pasalic has finally left permanently. I don't say that because I'm, I'm happy to see him leave Chelsea. I've often wondered why you haven't actually tried to play him. But it just feels like he's been out on loan for the last 55 years. And it's good to see him go to a permanent home, even if it is the same one he's been on loan to. But there's nothing to, there's nothing to knock here except for maybe you probably need one more signing, don't you? But I'm sure we'll come to that soon. Yeah, I was going to say that maybe the one thing that is to knock is the absence of a of a goalkeeper sign. But uh, just just as we're recording, I'm saying there's been uh, it's been reported by the Athletic that Chelsea are extremely confident they'll get Edward Mendy from Wren, which, well, yeah. I think we'll talk about that later on. Uh, our opinions on, well, personally, I think Onana is right there and I don't understand why we haven't got him. But you know um that that's the strategy uh done by chelsea but i mean in terms of the transfers do you think there's potentially um there potentially could be a problem about having so many new especially attacking signings coming from different leagues and they all have to gel together with one another and also adapt to the premier league at the same time uh, yeah probably i mean no one is immune from these kind of problems and 
you know, one thing I've been watching on with a little bit of intrigue is um, is is on Twitter with Chelsea fans trying to put together, you know, what the eleven should be under Frank Lampard this season. As all the signings come in, as all the links come in, oh, how does Havertz fit in? Where does Timo Werner play? Well, what if you do that? If you if you put Pulisic there and Mason Mount obviously has to play because he's Lampard's boy. So where does that leave Ziyech? And one thing I would say is that like there is no obligation to play all of them. And I would not be surprised if over the first few weeks of the season, we see a bit of rotation for obvious reasons. But also the first game of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we just see a couple of the new signings, someone like Hakim Ziyech is on the bench. Like, you can't just chuck them all in. Like, it's ludicrous. So Well, we, we actually have quite a few players injured. So I would be very surprised not to see Callum Hudson-Odoi in the starting eleven for the first game against Brighton for one. Right. Well, there you go. I mean, Hudson-Odoi is probably the one alongside the obvious Ross Barkley, who is, you know, in danger of becoming a bit of a forgotten man, given all of the new, the new blood. And obviously the, 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 the rise of Pulisic post lockdown, the fact that Mason Mount is such a, is such a reliable presence for, for Frank Lampard, all these things combined for Hudson, Odoi to maybe put him under a bit of pressure. And well, if he gets his chance first game against Brighton, that's his chance to say, Hey guys, seriously, I'm still here and I'm still good, right? So, yeah, I think I think we're going to have to see we're going to have to see some of these players not play to start with, which is it seems to be a concept alien to the people I've seen on Twitter trying to put the the 11 together. My suggestion is that Ziyech actually if it's full strength to start with, Ziyech probably misses out because I would play Timo Werner off the left and still use a target man because that's how I think Timo Werner plays best. I wouldn't put him up front on his own for the first game. But I've been met with a lot of resistance to that idea because that would mean that Ziyech or Pudisic or someone else has to miss out, and that's that's not allowed. But we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see some of these guys not play, like you know, to start with at least, and then the rotation will obviously take a few more out. It's gonna be hard. Yeah, an idea that I've been uh, a big kind of champion of is to play two two up top, which means Timo Werner he is as a number nine, but perhaps a more of a withdrawn one playing off the left offer Tammy Abraham or Olivier Giroud. Is that one you think, well, maybe it's not so realistic, but do you think it could work hypothetically? Yeah, I don't know if it works in terms of the midfield makeup, given the front four, you probably end up fielding. But what I would say is that Timo Werner has like very little experience over the last couple of years playing as a, as a, as a lone number nine, because at Leipzig, he almost always played off a big target man in Paulson or Schick or he played off the left-hand side. And for Germany, he's currently playing, like the last two games we've seen, he's actually played in a front two uh, with Leroy Sané at one point. And then off the left uh, with, with Draxler was kind of like a weird false nine. He was rubbish at it. But it's, <laughs> it, all of the managers that have been managing Timo Werner, Timo Werner over the last two, two years or so, they very rarely put him up front on his own as the number nine. So I don't really see why you would put that on him, if you, unless you had to immediately coming to a new league with a lot of pressure with a 50 million pound price tag on his head. I would, I would play him off the left or I'd play him with a big man because those are the two things that he's done for the last two years. And he's done them extremely well. And if he graduates into a, into a low number nine over the, over the coming months, fantastic. But if he doesn't, it's okay because you've got everything you need to make him work. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that is something that we will see because we're, I guess, lucky to have, two big number nines who are both very good players um one extremely young one one extremely old one in terms of a football footballing career but they're both they're both <laughs> playing at playing at good levels you know Giroud's still starting uh for France Tammy Abraham he scored 15 non-penalty goals in his his first season with Chelsea which is 
is fantastic, really. Um, and he only started about 23 games, I think. So I think people are, are sleeping on Tammy Abraham a bit. I think he'll still play a huge part this season, um, e- even with the addition of Werner. And just you mentioned Mason Mount and how he's definitely going to play. We saw, uh, I think yesterday on Twitter, Christian Falk was reporting that... Um, Mason Mount was extremely disappointed that Havertz mm. had arrived and, and Mason Mount's dad just replied with about a hundred laughing emojis. <laughs> yeah, and some turd emojis as well. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I saw that. I saw that. Um, I mean, we had Christian Falk on on, uh, on the BR Football Ranks podcast, didn't we? Uh, although I was I was absent that day, uh, so they had to draft in a big gun to replace me. So they went with Falk. <laughs> so I never actually met him, but Dean, Dean and Jack have obviously met him and D- Dean knows him and typically speaking, on the buy-in side at least, he's, Falk's info is spot on. But stretching into Leverkusen and Chelsea territory, I, I couldn't pos- I couldn't vouch for him. I don't know. Everything he says about Bayern is spot on, but this doesn't concern Bayern. So I found Tony Mount's response quite funny. Um, and Mason Mount is a determined little character, isn't he? I mean, he's he's playing for his boyhood club, and he's he knows he has to earn this this role. And if Callum Hudson Odoi shows the same fight I expect Mason Mount to with regard to these new faces coming in, um, then these new faces have a hell of a battle on their hands to keep a, a permanent role in the team. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be overwhelmingly a positive thing regardless of who ends up getting into that starting 11 because you know competition for places is always a good thing uh, especially if people aren't you know 100% happy we often see managers saying you know it's an impossible problem to to keep everyone happy but I don't think everyone actually does need to be happy and it's possibly a good thing for some people not to be happy because it creates more competition. Yeah, I think with someone like Giroud last season, when he was pretty annoyed, right, um, heading into that January transfer window, he wasn't being utilised very much. We thought the Euros were on the horizon in six months' time, and he was worried about his spot in the France team. Rightly so, he wasn't playing. And then you actually put him into the team, and he's playing with venom. He's playing when he's playing. He's pretty pissed off, and that can have quite the effect sometimes, can't it? And so, yeah, you're probably right. You doesn't that you don't need to you don't need to have you know, 25 happy players. You can have three players that are quite annoyed, but when you give them that chance, they just need to channel that 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 frustration in the right way. And you've unlocked twice the player that you had before. And Giroud was very good over the, over the basically the last, what, second, yeah, the second half of the season, I thought. Very good player. So, well, we know what Giroud is. He's not really old, by the way. I, that's why I giggled. <laughs> no, it's a bit harsh, but, you know, in comparison to Tammy Abraham. He's 33. All right, calm down. <laughs> um, yeah, in comparison to Tammy, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, you could unlock something in a player like that. And that's what happened with Giroud. And that's what might happen with, I don't know which one it's going to be, um, but it's going to be one of these players, right? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it will be one player, but that's okay, I guess, because we'll we'll be improving all the yeah. better for it. But um yeah, so we're going to move into what the, the real focus of the pod is. You've come up with three concerns about Chelsea this season. Obviously, just to make it clear, you are not a Chelsea fan. So this is from an outsider, you know, look, looking in, in from the outside. Um, so, yeah, let, let's go in with number three. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of said with love because I'm kind of, I'm not a Chelsea fan. I'm also not like a Fulham fan or a, t- a fan of a, a fellow top six club. Like I, I really have no vested interest in this other than I really like the signings you've made and I'm really excited for your season. So I'd like it to go well, but I've got three things here that I am a little bit worried about. And uh, yeah, with love, with love. But yeah, here's, here's, here's the bit to balance the argument. 
Um, number three, so I'm going to do a top three of reasons. And the number three one is, and we can breeze past this quite quickly because I'm sure you've talked about it to death, is that Kepper is not very good at being a goalkeeper. So that would be a massive concern. I think like, you know, if you go on FB ref and you look at their advanced goalkeeping statistics, he was 37th out of 37 goalkeepers in the Premier League last year in terms of post shot XG. Uh, he conceded 9.6 goals more than he should have. I've seen people say he has chocolate wrists. I've seen he looks, people look like, say he looks like a school child. Uh, all of these things are probably a little bit harsh, but there's no doubt that he's, not shot he's not stopping shots that he should he's very passive in the air he's not very good at 1v1s he's not really that good at anything if i'm being completely honest i don't even think his distribution is that good which was something he got lauded for in his first season i thought that was a bit overrated too and yeah. like we we know that obviously having a poor goalkeeper is going to be a bit of an Achilles heel and manchester united are starting to see that with de gea as well you're not the only ones that are struggling in this department but <sighs> A goalkeeper. I like think Kepa, we're struggling I, a lot more than Man United, to be fair. Yes, yes, of course, yeah. But I think I think having a goalkeeper like Kepa not only impacts you just like in terms of shot stopping and, and cross claiming and pressure relief, it creates a nervous defence. And like obviously, Chilwell, Thiago Silva, they're going to make a difference. And I'm not sitting here saying you're going to concede as many goals as Brighton again this year, which you did last year, 54. It's way too many. It's a ridiculous number, really, for a team of your talent. But those those micro crises with positioning, with penalty box defending, with aerials, even with the offside line sometimes, that a, that a nervous and poor goalkeeper can make in a defence, it's a concern. So the fact that you opened this pod with pretty confident you're going to get Eduard Mendy, who I really rate, I think he's very, very good, that's a huge step forward. That's a huge step forward if it comes through. Obviously, when I prepared this, that hadn't happened. And I'm also with you, Andre Onana is right there. Come on. Yeah. 30 million euros or so. He even posted on his Instagram story at the end of the Eredivisie season, which was well, six months ago now, you know, basically a goodbye to Ajax. But he's still there. He was expecting to leave. Everybody thought he'd be gone. I thought that was a, I thought that was a, a deal for the taking that Chelsea haven't gone there. But Eduard Mendy would be, would be really good. So if it comes off, great. That's, that's one of the three concerns ticked off. Yeah, I think... The plan with Eduard Mendy, he's 28 years old. So I think the plan that Chelsea are going with, instead of kind of spending money on another youngish goalie and hoping that they kind of develop into, well, I would argue that Onana is already of, of the requisite standard to be a goalie for, for yeah. Chelsea for, for t 10 years or so. But seemingly the club think otherwise. I think the, the strategy that they're going with is to kind of have Edward Mendy as a bit of a stopgap for one or two years, similar to Thiago Silva, and then go in and buy an elite goalie. I know Donnarumma is out of contract, I think in one year, that could be one option. Um, but I think as they see it, there aren't any elite goalies on the market right now, or at least not for an extremely extortionate price. Yeah, I mean, if they spent all summer chasing Jan Oblak, then you know how that conversation ends. He has a release clause. It's loads of money. He's obviously amazing, but if you can't commit the funds to it, then whatever. So if this is the, if this is the, the route they prefer to go down, fair enough. I mean, something had to be done, and I think Mendy's a good goalkeeper, so I think it's a good signing. And the window goes from an A- minus to an A+, plus if you do it, I think. <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, your, your opinions on Edward Mendy because he's someone who I haven't seen much of, and I think most Chelsea fans would say the same. Yeah, so he was. I don't want him to go because I picked Ren as like one of my one of my sort of teams that I was really <laughs> excited for, and the fact that they have just a very capable pair of hands in Mendy 
has been part of that. And I ended up meeting uh, one one of well, he has as with any player, they have multiple agents. But I ended up meeting one of his agents once and talking to talking to the guy that does his his goalkeeping analysis um, and and have, get, trying to get a better read on goalkeepers because it's it's definitely not my forte and. It's, it's definitely not really many people's forte because it's such a specific position. It can be so hard to analyze. So often lean on these kind of guys uh, for insight into goalkeepers. And actually their, their analysis of Kepa, even before he joined, was pretty scathing. But their analysis of Eduard Mendy is really good. Just really reliable, solid pair of hands, fairly modern. Not, it's not going to knock your teeth out. Like he's not going to be, it's not Edison Moresh. Uh, he's not Allison, but he's not Kepa either. So... In that sense, what you just said in terms of like a, a somewhat veteran presence, just someone who can stop shots, good handling, you know, good all rounder. It's 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 all you need, and it's it's what he is. Yeah, I think another thing that I've seen um, people say on, on Twitter in terms of the stats is uh, cross collection. Uh, I think completion rate is extremely high. He likes to come out uh, and collect crosses, and he's really good at doing it. And that's kind of the opposite to Kepa and that is exactly what you need in in a commanding keeper who's going to settle the the back line um so I think that that could be really pivotal in in kind of how comfortable the defense feel um yeah but yeah let, let's go in go into number two what what's your number two for issues that we might encounter this season yeah so number two is going to be the what looks like it's going to be a, a fairly well could be crippling over reliance on N'Golo Kante at this point um, and this kind of manifests in a couple of ways. So, first of all, the, pro, the, the profile of attacker that Chelsea have, have signed this summer is very exciting, but it's very kind of high risk, high reward. And I don't think there's going to be an awful lot of, well, with the new signings at least, there's not an awful lot of ball retention happening in this final third. If you, if you put together a kind of FIFA-esque lineup of like Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, Christian Pulisic, um, Timo Werner, You've got a lot of players there that, are, that play high-risk, high-reward, 1v1, dribbling, key-pass football. And it's fine. It's exciting. It's what you want to see. And it's, it's, it's the reason I'm so excited about these players. But if you put lots of them in the team, then your ability to retain and recycle the ball in the final third starts to diminish. Now, again, can be pretty exciting. Can also provide something of a strain on the defensive midfielders as they're constantly counter-pressing and putting out fires. And so this is where Kante comes into play. And this is why he's so important. He's more important than ever, probably, with the profile of player like Werner and like Havertz and like Callum Hudson-Odoi in the team and playing up front. He's more important than ever. And my concern is that, one, you don't have two of him which again is kind of fair because they're Kante's don't grow on trees. But two is that he's kind of breaking down a bit, isn't he? And he's getting injured more and more. And if you put him under the amount of strain that I think you might, and we're talking Fernandinho in midfield for Man City two years ago level of, I will do everything with regard to the counter press and I will put out every fire on the halfway line. We're talking that level of commitment. I'm a bit worried that, you don't have anybody else to do that. And when you inevitably put too much strain on him, you basically fall down in midfield and you get counterattacked and played through very easily. Now, again, as a neutral, I'm into that because the games are good. But for you guys, unless you balance the approach in the final third and you tone down some of the tendencies of the players that you have at your disposal, which probably isn't advisable because you've got them for a reason. They're direct, they're sharp, they're attacking. This will be a problem. 
And I came to the conclusion while planning this that actually someone like Declan Rice does make all the sense in the world because I don't think you have another midfielder that can do what I'm expecting Kante to do for this front four. Do you think it, this may be a bit left field, but do you think it would be wise for Chelsea to keep Timmy Bakayoko? Um, Jeez. <laughs> I, I mean, there's no doubt that he has the, the ability to cover the ground that we're talking about here and certainly the defensive acumen and the, and the, the strength in duels. I... I like Bakayoko. Like I don't. I don't think like he doesn't. His reputation in England isn't great, but I do like him. And I remember him playing alongside Fabinho for that Monaco side. And he was a pretty dynamic box-to-box player. All right, his technique isn't great. His touch isn't great. And his passing could use some work. And maybe we're at the point where that never really recovers, and he never becomes the player that you probably need him to be. So for that reason, I would say no. What I would right. say is that if you could sell Bakayoko and buy somebody else that would be grand but yeah i don't know i don't know if i, I don't know if i'd redeployed bakayoko to be honest i i, I get your thinking i get your thinking because he's the, he's the more or less the right type of the right profile of player i just wonder if his ship has somewhat sailed what would you say yeah i think i think that does make sense i i i would think about keeping him as a kind of backup to kante because as it stands all we've got is billy gilmore who's just come off crutches and probably won't be fit for quite a few months um, we've got Ethan Ampadu, who looks like he's going to be heading out on loan again. Um, and then the next best is Lewis Bate or um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek in an uncomfortable role. So there's not very much depth. Well, I kind of forgot about Jorginho, but I'm not expecting him to play much or potentially he could leave Um Either way, he's just not very good. I also um, would. But... He, he just. He just doesn't. He's not that player. He's not that player. No. He's not that role. Like we're talking about. We're talking about Pirlo versus Gattuso here in Jorginho versus Kante, and, and you wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't ask either of those two players to do each other's role as a grandiose example. So you wouldn't ask Jorginho and Kante to do each other's role. That's just not. It's just not what we need. Um, yeah. So Kovacic, I think he's great, but again, he's not that player. You. Kante is that player. You just like I'm just worried about his age and his injury proneness and sending him into overdrive and then losing him and then not having anybody. And that is gonna have its consequences beyond just what Kante does for you in general. I think just with it's 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 the 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 the, the profile, the recruitment profile of the forwards and what you can now deploy will accentuate the need for Kante sweeping up in midfield and doing that kind of Fernandinho esque role. He's more important than ever, but he's more injury prone than ever. I wonder if we could see potentially Reese James in midfield this season. Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I'm still not really sure how the defence lines up. And I, if Lampard wants to flick between a back three and a back four, then obviously Reese James gets where well, he can play basically four positions, can't he? So, um, well, yeah. he can probably play about eight, but he can play four, <laughs> to, four to a top level. So he's got his chances. But I mean, I haven't seen Reese James play in midfield since he was at Wigan. Um, if he's played it for Chelsea in the last year, I've missed it. Um, but yeah, maybe a bit, maybe just, a bit much. He, he, in our last game before lockdown against Everton, we were four nil up and he came on as a number six behind, I think mountain Barkley it was, but we were four nil up against Everton and it was for half an hour. So it doesn't mm. tell you loads. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess that does show that it's an idea that Lampard is willing to experiment with. Um, and we could see it happen, especially with the addition of Ben Chilwell. That means Azpilicueta is likely to play on the right more because he was playing on the left quite a lot last season. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, so look, could, it could, I would I would say that the, the sort of model of player that you're talk, we're talking about here, and he's just gone to Everton is Alan. Alan is basically mm-hmm. is basically Kante in terms of that box to box tenacity and that aggression and that ball winning ability. And you saw when he joined Everton the other day, and his quote was winning a 50 50 is like scoring a goal, which was I loved it. I mean, it was celebrated uh, across Twitter, and and that is Alan, and that is also Kante, right? So he's basically like considering he was eventually available for 20 million. And again, this isn't great long-term planning because Alan is now about 29 years of age. So you probably, it's okay for Chelsea to take a pass on him because they might want something a bit more long-term. But that is the sort of player I'm talking about as the, as the Kante rotator. And he would have made some sense to cover the crack short-term, but never mind. Ibrahim Sangare for 8 million euros, anyone? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, I prefer I prefer Sangare a little bit a little bit deeper, get his foot on the ball a little bit more. But I mean, yeah. he can do he can do pretty much everything. So if you ask him to do that, then he would probably be able to do it. We could do a, a full sixty minutes on the greatest travesty of modern football, which is Sangare <laughs> Sangare playing in League League Deux, which is terrible. It's but we we won't crazy. we don't we don't we don't have time. Yeah. All right. Let, let's move into number one. All right. So this isn't in your control at all. This is my worry here is, is to do with everybody else and all the other stupid people. The, what you have done this summer has created, I think, a very unfair expectation that you are in the title race. And I don't really think that you are. No disrespect. Um, and I don't think it's fair to say that Chelsea should be should be should be in the title race or challenging for the title just because you spent 200 million euros and people will be like, well, look, you know, when Man United spent this kind of money, then people expected more. It's like, yeah, but you spent it well. So the expectation is that you kick on. But the gap between City and Liverpool and everybody else is pretty massive. Can we agree? Like, it's pretty massive. These two, Absolutely. These, are two, these are two masterfully put together teams coached by two of the world's best coaches Two coaches that will enter the coaching hall of fame if it even exists when they hang up their notepad and pen. And the thing that's outside of your control here is other people, other fan bases ramping up the pressure on Chelsea to challenge for the title in response to a 200 million euro spend. And the fact that if you don't, they'll call it a failure, which again is not fair. But the thing that you're lacking now, if you get a goalkeeper, and if you were to sign, say, Declan Rice or the Alan replacement or whoever, whoever comes in for Kante, you'd have pretty much everything in the squad. The only thing you'd be lacking in comparison to Liverpool and Man City is a manager of a similar calibre. Again, not really that much of a criticism because Lampard is two years into a managerial career and I think he's done pretty well so far. It's just that you don't have Klopp or Guardiola. And in order to take that next big step, you would need a different manager. And I'm not saying sack him. I'm saying build slowly and wait and and grow it's just about growth it's not about signing 200 million euros worth of players and immediately winning the title not when the opposition are at such a perfect standard we're talking about teams that get like basically a hundred points a year for the last three years that is such a difficult standard to attain and chelsea understandably aren't there yet and i don't think this cut this expectation comes from inside the chelsea fan base there might be a bit of optimism and hope fine but when it, if if you don't end up finish, like challenging for the title, I, I don't I don't think that you'd all be calling for Lampard's head as long as some gap some of the gap was closed, some of those 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 points were shaved off. But everyone else will, you know, and that's where yeah, that's I mean, where it, that's where they have the capacity to disappoint a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, we got six, uh, sorry, 72 points in uh, 17, 18. We got 70 points, sorry, other way around. We got 70 points in 17, 18. We got 72 points in 18, 19. I think we got 66 points in 19, 20. I yep. mean, that's pretty far off 100 if my math is right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Liverpool won the title this season with 99 points. You got 66. So you're literally at a 33% increase to basically get to a title-winning form because you know you know, Man City are coming back with a vengeance. They're a wounded animal. They're probably a bit embarrassed about how last season went. They're firing up. They've got players coming in to, to fill the weak spots. They're going to continue spending. They're going to be a serious force. Liverpool are Liverpool. If there's a threat to them, it's that they go a little bit stale because they haven't changed their team for two years. But this team is still good enough to, 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 to score 98, 99 points per season, right? As long as it goes really well for them, which it could because they're excellent. That's the gap. And like to think that Chelsea can just chuck all these names in under a manager with two years experience under his belt and just like be title challenges. You're asking if you're a title challenger, you need 100 points. Chelsea are not there yet and it's totally fine. But I think people are missing the point a little bit here with that. With that, and it's it's a bit of a shame because it will weigh on you all season. You'll hear it all season from other fans. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I wonder whether is third like a must or? Yeah, I is think third is a must. Four? I think, think so, must, yeah. as Man as Man United are ticking over now, i.e. they're not signing any of the players that they need, then third is a must. If United turn around in the next couple of weeks and procure Sancho and a left back and a centre-back, and a holding mid, then I think the goalposts move, and third slash fourth is, is, in your, is in your corner. But Arsenal, I don't think, can do quite enough to catch all the way up. I think Arsenal might be good for fifth, because they're actually sneakily looking quite good right now. I think Tottenham's schedule is going to screw them over so hard. They've got so many mm. games to play, and I think Wolves will be there or thereabouts, with Leicester dropping off a little bit. So with Brendan, I don't think... I'm a bit worried about Leicester, because... When, when it starts to go south for Brendan Rodgers, he can't really fix it. And I think it started to go south. Um, so all of this in play, like fourth is like an app. Like you can't finish out the top, outside the top four. But I mean, yeah. that's obvious, right? I think third is a must unless United pull their finger out and start buying the players they need. But right now I have you clearly stronger than Man United over the course of a 38-game season. Because United have got 11 players and not a lot else. And mm. we saw at the end of last season... They can look amazing with those 11 players. But once one injury creeps in, it's going to be a season for injuries, given the congested fixture list and the early finish and the late start. Once those injuries start creeping in, United completely lost their rhythm. So Chelsea's depth here comes in, comes in their favour. So it depends on United. But yeah, third right now, an absolute must. If United pull their finger out, fourth, obviously. But yeah, I mean, the, the title talk is, is still so far off for me. And I'd be delighted to be proved wrong just because I'm bored of watching Liverpool and City tussle. Um, but I just don't think it's realistic to expect Chelsea to win the title, even though they spent 200 million. Yeah, uh, I think I agree. I, I think it's an interesting, to think about, interesting thing to think about, right? So you see how we've got Liverpool and Man City so far ahead of the pack, right? If Chelsea over one, two, three years can get up their 90 points or thereabouts. Is that going to create a huge disparity or an even bigger disparity between the top dogs and the rest of the Premier League? I Probably not, because 
it's all cyclical, right? Just because Liverpool and Manchester City are there right now and they're achieving, you know, 98, 9900 points every season, it doesn't mean that that lasts forever. That is probably linked to the crop of players they have right now playing in their prime and the fact that they have two of the best managers of all time. Jurgen Klopp will not be at Liverpool forever. Pep Guardiola will not be at Man City forever. And these players, this crop that each of these these two teams have acquired, particularly Liverpool's, it's a bit of a once-in-a-generation crop. I mean, the recruitment for Liverpool's side to pick up Firmino and Mane and Salah and Fabinho and to have Trent rise through the ranks and to pick up Robertson and get what he is and to have Van Dijk and Alisson. Like, they're amazing buys, but like... And I'm not saying it's luck, but like transfers don't always go that well and Liverpool yeah. won't be in this unbeatable shining like just like first place spot with, the, with this invincible aura it, it won't be like that forever and just like it won't be for any club so if we find that over the next three years Chelsea go up and up and up and they up their game and they up their level and they continue to make good signings and they make huge progress and they get to 90 points if in three years they get to that point they'll probably win the league because one of Klopp or Guardiola or both will have gone this crop of players will be outside of their prime they'll need to refresh it might not go as well football changes all the time and it's really easy in the short term to feel like nothing will ever change like right now Liverpool dominant brilliant doesn't feel like that's that's ending anytime soon but at some point and it will catch you by surprise they will drop off same as city and it will be linked to one thing or another but i don't think we're in we're in danger of creating a kind of three-headed monster there of three teams with 90 points i think if you do that one of the other two would have fallen away Hmm. yeah i think get this right in 2030 callum hudson adoy will be 29 okay um you know you've got a lot you've got a lot of longevity in this squad definitely 2030 i can't even my mind doesn't even stretch to to (laughs) how far away that is but even if you talk about 25 you know reese james will be in his mid-20s mason mount the same Vernon will be about 29 um habits will only be 25 yeah, you've got plenty, plenty to come from this from this crop of players. If it doesn't all click into a title-winning gear this season, absolutely no dramas whatsoever. Just be happy that you've produced, that you've recruited good players, you've produced a really good window, and you've set yourself up for for what should be a good season in which you close the gap and and score more than sixty-six points, concede fewer than fifty-four goals, and and, and make a real play for it at the top of the Premier League. I mean, that's that's ultimately the goal here. I've seen a couple of reports here and there that, you know, Lampard is now expected to win, stuff like that. I really hope that isn't the case. And I just, I really hope that the pressure doesn't crank up to the point where, you know, he reneges on his youth first policy and his, his, his ability to, or his willingness, sorry, to, uh, to give these players chances because they still need to play and they still need to be given chances. That pathway still needs to remain open. I hope it's not just a one year thing, but you know how these things catch up with managers and you know what happens to them when they become under pressure. Right. And that's again, part of the concern is that, you know, Reese James, Callum Hudson, the doy, these players that, that are making the breakthrough. I love it. I really hope Lampard doesn't revert or batten down the hatches if things start to pile up on him a little bit because those players still need to come through. Yeah, and yeah, I agree with that. Um, With regards to um, kind of the long term of Chelsea and if things don't work out quite as they should this season, I'd like to get your thoughts um, on a few of a few of. Chelsea's players who won't be at the club this season, so players who will be out on loan. The first one that immediately springs to mind, who 
I'm sure uh, will be playing for, for Chelsea soon is Conor Gallagher. Yeah, Conor Gallagher. I mean, so I've seen I've I've seen limited amounts of Conor Gallagher. Um, and when I've only seen limited amounts of, of players, I will then go and speak to people that have that have seen him a lot that I trust or or people that have coached him or, or, or done some individual sessions with him or, or come across him at, at youth level. And Gallagher just gets brilliant reviews from everybody I speak to. Absolutely brilliant reviews. The energy and the work rate that he offers and, and, and the dynamism, sensational. But I reckon I only saw him three times last year. So I don't think I could say like, oh yeah, he's going to be this, he's going to be that. But he's certainly someone I'm excited I'm, I'm excited about. Um, I don't actually live that far from Charlton and was a bit disappointed. Uh, a bit disappointed when he got recalled. That was Conor Gallagher, right? He was at Charlton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he got recalled. I went to see him I, a few times. I hadn't quite got around to going to the Valley to watch him and he got recalled and I was like, no, that was my plan for February. Because uh, <laughs> that would have been a great opportunity. But yeah, I, I, I'm not sure on Gallagher, but if the if the reviews are anything to go by, then yeah, should be should be in there. I mean, I spoke to one 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 coach who thinks that he should be on loan starting for a Premier League club in the bottom half this year. And he thinks that he would start for pretty much every club in the bottom half, no questions asked as a number eight. So that tells you something about the pedigree there and hopefully something to be excited about. Well, it seems like he, he's going to be going, going on loan to Crystal Palace, which on the surface I am delighted about. But when you uh, kind of look in deeper, they've already signed Eze, they've got creative players, they've already got Zaha, they've got Ayu. I don't quite know how he fits in. Well, yeah, I mean they did they did they did well with Ruben, didn't they? I mean, I know they played him oh, yeah. on the wing all season, which was which was weird. Um, but they did they did good things to Ruben Loftus-Cheek and I think there are definitely worse managers you can send a player to than Roy Hodgson. Uh, there's no damage there whatsoever. Okay, he's not going to be um, inducted into the tiki-taka style of play, but he will learn a few things that will stand him in very good stead for his career. That is that is for sure. that is no doubt. Um yeah, I mean, is is there a crying need for Conor Gallagher in Crystal Palace's midfield? Stylistically, probably not in uh, in terms of quality and style, but Palace have, have clearly made a commitment to try and freshen this team up a bit and add some youth and some uh, add an injection of of youth into the team because it's a tired old team, isn't it? I mean, before Nathan Ferguson and Eze joined this summer, it was really it was really limping along this team. And it looked like it was sleepwalking to relegation, I thought. And they've clearly decided to try and add legs and youth to this team. So if Conor Gallagher is part of that, and that means that along with Eze and Ferguson, they can start to start to revolutionise what Palace are as a team, then maybe that's a good shout. But I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I, I, I forgot about Ferguson, actually. That's a, a fantastic signing. Um, and... I think I'll be watching them quite a lot next season, actually, mainly just because of Everett Chiesa. He's one of my, my favourite players, but mm. I think they'll, they'll be a team to watch for sure um, and over the course of the next few years, not just this season. Um, the other guy who looks like he, he's set to go out on loan, there was that there was talk that he, he had his heart set on um, staying at Chelsea and fighting for his place in the team, but it now looks like he's going to go out. That's Ethan Ampadu. Um Initially, it looked like he was going to Norwich, but then they got Oliver Skip instead because I think there was a bit of hesitation from Chelsea. He could be going to Fulham. He, there was recent talk of him going to Sheffield United. Um, how good do you think he like? Is he good enough to start for Sheffield United, do you think? Well, the problem you have with Sheffield United in particular is it's such a specific system. 
And it's yeah. such a it's such a it's such a, a well drilled style of play that to even break into that team to start with is actually really quite difficult. And it takes it takes like months, with the exception of Sander Berg, clearly, because he cost a club record fee. But it takes months to get into that midfield. And Ampadu, I guess, given we still don't know hundred percent what position he ends up playing long term. Uh, be it centre back or holding mid, I guess I'd shade holding mid at the moment, or maybe as a kind of in a back three, kind of shifting between the two roles is kind of perfect for him. I don't know. It's, it needs to see exactly how he ends up, what what size he ends up when he grows through. But with Ampadu, like he would have, ba- I think he would have been the Ollie Norwood, and Ollie Norwood is like really important to Sheffield United. And it might sound a bit strange that like Ollie Norwood is not like a world class player, but when you have a player who is like the hub of the system, talk, we're talking Jorginho for Napoli, that style, then it's really hard to oust that player. And I think going to Sheffield United would have been a mistake for Ampadu. I think he needs to play a bit more than he would have been able to. And um, it always strikes me as weird when the last game I watched Ampadu play was in the Champions League. Why would you <laughs> then go to the Championship? So yeah. you can't go from Leipzig because he started against Tottenham in the Champions League. You can't go from that to Norwich in the Championship. I'm sorry, but there are better places and better areas to develop than that. So it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I don't, I don't know where he goes. And you, you know that as, as the loaning club, you're going to be like, right, but he's going to play, right? Because otherwise, otherwise we're not going to give him to you. Like he has to play. He can learn, he can learn in training from us. He doesn't have to go to Germany for that. But the, the club that are receiving him I think unless now, because there's this 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 new like focus on two-year loans, which I think is an excellent idea, because it allows them to bed in and be there for longer. So the receiving club is much more likely to build around them and trust them, because anyone in the Premier League bottom half that's looking at Gallagher or Ampadu is going to be like, well, you're just going to take him back in a year. We don't want to start building around mm. him, and that's that's the dichotomy. That's the difficult part of of these of these loan deals, and why it can be so hard to find these players. Homes. I'm talking Gallagher and Ampadu's level. I mean, it's really easy to find a, a home for someone in in League One or League Two because those clubs have no money and will absolutely live on a year by year, season by season basis, and just take freebies and take loanees. But once you start to get to this critical level, it's really hard. Yeah, um, I think you mentioned the the um, kind of two year loan. Someone who we've seen on loan for six months um, and he's now gone back to Swansea for for another 12 months is Mark Gurhi and he's someone who I absolutely love I think he's he's a brilliant player um, have you seen much of him and, and what, what do you think I you know what I seen the 11 I haven't I haven't managed to catch much of him at all um, I remember watching him play for the Chelsea youth defense um, in well in several very very good youth teams um, mm. and so familiar familiar with him as a as a 17 18 and 19 year old but once he'd gone once he'd gone out on loan senior-wise, I hadn't really caught up with him. So um, I appreciated what he brought in terms of like the, I would call it just like, not that I don't mean this in a bad way, just like the basics, as in like the, the defensive fundamentals of the game, Gurhi has and excels in, in a way that like quite a lot of young players probably don't actually have, in a way that like, I really wish Christensen would learn how to mark players you know and, <laughs> yeah. and, and i loved christensen coming through at youth level he looked so classy he looked so comfortable on the ball he looked like he had everything he still does on paper you just drive andreas christensen and, and you're tempted to you're tempted to think you're you're, you're describing a, a future hall of fame center back and ultimately when he sets foot on the pitch i don't know what happens 
but he forgets mm. all of it. And um, <laughs> I've started to appreciate maybe someone like Gerhe a little bit more there because he actually has that nous about him. But no, I haven't seen that much of him at senior. I have only, again, I've only heard good things though. Yeah. Um, the last one, uh, someone who, who was playing alongside him in quite a few of those youth teams, someone who I know you are a big fan of, is Trevor Chalaber. He's gone on loan to Lorient, uh, oh. promoted to League One for this season. But he has taken the, I think, number six shirt. Looks like he's going to be playing in midfield again. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why do uh, we do this? <laughs> yeah. Why do we do this? That I mean, I just, look, I really liked, I really liked Chalaber. Um, at Chelsea youth level and I thought he was he was fantastic whenever I saw him at England youth level as well and um, I mean look to be honest with you like pretty much every Chelsea centre-back that's come through the system over the last five years I've been enamoured with Jonathan Panzo was another one that I absolutely loved mm-hmm. um, and still love to be fair but Chalaba I just I mean it just it just irritates me that people keep playing in midfield because I just don't think he's a, I don't think he's a midfielder or at least he's not right now um, and I don't think it gets the best of him at all. I think it shows the worst of him. Um, and I think, it, I think it hides the best of him. I think it reduces his passing range. And I think it's... I, I mean, not every centre-back can just step into midfield and deal with that amount of pressure, uh, as in pressure on the ball, uh, be, being harassed and working in those tighter yeah. spaces. I always find it funny when people are like, Edison could definitely play in midfield, you know, the City oh. goalkeeper. I'm like, <laughs> no, he definitely couldn't. Like, if he actually played in midfield, you realise how physically spent he would look almost immediately. Like, he just doesn't have the turning circle, the mobility, um, the touch, the agility to play that role. And it's so, so much more difficult to play as you move through the pitch from starting from goalkeeper up to centre-back into midfield and through into those really tight spaces as a winger and a goalkeeper. uh, Sorry, winger and a number 10 and striker. It gets progressively harder and harder to deal with the lack of space. And, like, some players just shouldn't be moved forward. And I just feel like that's the case with Chalaba. I think he could be a top-class centre-half. But right now, a succession of loan managers are threatening that theory pretty seriously. And look, in some countries, number six is a, is a centre-back shirt. It's not always a DM. So uh, let's see. But mm. I, I, yeah. I, just, I just felt like Huddersfield used him really poorly. And it wasn't the first time he'd been used as a holding mid. Uh, I'm just a bit sick of it, mate. Yeah, and they played him a right back. And, you know, I think... For me, it's like, I think he is quite a good midfielder. I think he's an excellent centre-back. Mm. I think he can be quite a good midfielder. Maybe championship level, lower Premier League level. I think he can be a top-class Premier League centre-back. So, you know, sending on him on all these loans with the knowledge that he's going to be played in midfield seems really, really stupid to me from Chelsea's point of view. If they're trying to, if he's not going to ever make it in the Chelsea youth team, uh, sorry, Chelsea first team, at least they want to, develop his value um and make him into a sellable asset so it doesn't really make much sense to me um but talking of of you know chelsea players who set look to be set to be going on loan to to france there's one other who i am pretty annoyed about looks like he's going to be going on loan to ren we talked about ren earlier with with edward mendy coming to chelsea this could be evolved in the same deal apparently fikayo tamori since since Thiago Silva's been signed. It looks like he's going to be departing on loan. Does that any make make any sense to you? Mm, not really, to be honest. I mean, I like Tomori. Um, just just like everybody does, and I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him play a bit more for Chelsea. I I don't I don't know if this is just a 
just an example of of what I've been talking about earlier with the um, with the, the new pressures that are involved in having such a summer um, and the increased expectation that surrounds it. I don't know if Lampard has, has said to himself, "Well, Tomori needs he needs more experience to be able to handle a role in this team with these increased expectations." He did sort of disappear last season, didn't he? And I don't know what yeah. if you could shed more light on that. I don't know because. Nobody knows. I, I wasn't really keeping yeah. up with it, or I don't. I don't know if it was an injury or if it was just dropped. But he did disappear. I don't know if he did something. I didn't see anything too wrong with him. I can see like clear problems with like Andreas Christensen and his lack of physicality, his uh, poor poor identification of who he should be marking in the box, and aerial jewels are a problem. Set pieces like there are a lot of problems with Christensen, and you can identify them all, and you can say with certainty that he brings a certain amount of negatives. And Zuma has fewer negatives, but he can't judge crosses to save his life. And therefore, there is a weakness to crossed balls from the wide areas when Zuma's around, I think. So when Zuma and Christensen play together, it's a nightmare. Now, Thiago Silva obviously brings a certain amount of solidity and leadership to this team. And he will definitely improve your defending the box play because that is something he is very, very good at. But I would have paired him with Tamori and been like, Tomorrow you've got the chance to play alongside Silver here. I'll give you ten games, form a partnership with one of one of the best centre backs that, that we've seen over the last ten years, learn some stuff, grow. And if he does get loaned out, he doesn't get that chance. I'll be a bit sad for him because having having uh, being able to play off both feet and having that incredible recovery pace along with the fundamentals that he has, I am a little bit surprised that Lampard appears to have gone cold on him. So much to the point that he might be loaned out. I think it's a real shame. Yeah, so do I. And I think one one player you just missed out there, who I just a note to all Chelsea fans listening, please don't comment Sam and his mentions for not mentioning Tony Rudiger as someone who has issues. <laughs> uh, yeah, well <laughs> Oh Christ, yeah. I mean Tony Rudiger I got I actually got a bit sick of last year because he kept, we all he, did. He, he kept making really stupid mistakes. And there's only so much of a tolerance you can have for that as a neutral, let alone uh, let alone <laughs> as, a, as a fan of the club, and the one, the one I will, I will never forget him slicing the ball out for a corner against West Ham in just the most Aww. like lazy, tired, strange way possible, knowing full well that Aspilicueta has been assigned marking duties to Thomas Suchek, like, <laughs> like, like as if you, as if, as if you could be that lazy and give away a set piece in that fashion. It is. It was incredible. I was, I was, in, I was incensed by it. I'm not even a Chelsea fan, so Rudiger, I'm just kind of blocking out right now because I can't deal with him. <laughs> yeah, and I think for some, for whatever reason, he seems to be the most uh, kind of advanced centre back in the pecking order. Whether that's changed after Zuma's impressive performances in in the project restart period, I'm not sure. But yeah, I don't know. That all I, remains I, I, to be seen. I would say in Rudiger's defence I don't know if you feel the same I might have just been on an island here but I thought under Sarri I thought Rudiger was really important um, yeah. and I, I thought you'd been I thought you would have been a hell of a lot worse off if it wasn't for Rudiger's ability to recover because he does have a very good recovery ability if he has to chase a striker back he can pretty much match him stride for stride the pace he's is there very fast he's yeah. very he's very good at that and with that with the high line you played and the slightly disjointed press I noticed a lot of runners over the top and I noticed a lot of Rudiger clearing things up. So for him to go from that to what happened last season, I found very perplexing and a bit weird because he's always been pretty solid except for last year. Mm. I think, yeah, maybe part of it could be put down to his knee injury. Maybe he's lost a bit of his pace. I don't know, but 
I, I mean, I'm not going to kind of say, you know, he's rubbish now. A, he was good before just because he had an injury that put him out for a few months. That that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, um, we can all have bad. We can all have bad years. I mean, plenty, plenty of players like you would like Bournemouth went down. They were absolutely tragic, and loads of their players are good enough to play for top half Premier League sides. So mm. sometimes things can just spiral and conspire against you. So it's not the end for Tony Rudiger. It's just like it's just a player that's had a bad year. And um, Christ, everyone's had a bad year. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you on, um, Chelsea played a preseason friendly against Brighton a few weeks ago. Um, for the second half, we saw Cesar Azpilicueta as a centre-back um, in a back four. I would like to know your thoughts on that and whether you think it is a viable option. Oh. <laughs> well, I didn't see it. I didn't see it, so I, don't, I can't say how he performed. Um, it doesn't strike me as something I would do. <laughs> I mean, I know that Mascherano played in the back four for Barcelona, but it's a slightly different kettle of fish, wasn't it? When you've got 78% possession every game and you only ever can see two corners, you can pretty much carry that. Um, I would be against that idea full time just because of his height. Genuinely, just because of his height. And that's not just like, oh, he's small, he's rubbish. Because I know he can be decent enough in the air, but like I've seen Azpilicueta lose enough aerial jewels at set pieces to be concerned. And I've also seen him when he plays on the right of the back three, which he's very good at. <clears throat> when other teams pin their striker against him, he loses that aerial jewel and they, and you've conceded goals from it. Like we've, we've seen that happen. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know why, why you would do that, to be honest. I don't think I'd be in favor of that. Well, you know, it could have just been a kind of play him there for fitness thing, but Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I Yeah. It's interesting, though. I guess with... with um, Tiago Silva wasn't well, there yet, was he? So, I mean... No, he wasn't. And Zuma was out. Jake Clark Salter actually played, um, which was quite nice to see. There you go. But, add, another, um, add, add another player to the list of Chelsea centre-backs I watched at youth level and really like. There you go. Yeah. Me too. But I don't know. We'll see what happens with him this season. Chatted about him at quite length with uh, Ram Srinivas on, on the last podcast. So we won't go into that uh, now. But yeah, I think that wraps it up, really. Um, you've given us three three things that we might need to worry about as Chelsea fans for this season. Two that can be, um, you know, solved quite easily. Just sign more players. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's asking for a bit much considering the window that we've already had but one that is completely out of anyone's control really um but something that i guess we should be aware of as fans um and, and make sure not to to let it get to us i guess yeah i think so i mean i say i i, I put i put forward my my reasons for concern with 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 love and humility it's not it's not vindictive it's not it's not things that i'm gonna i'm not gonna particularly enjoy but these these are problems that are that chelsea are heading into the season with and it's important to keep to, to to take note of these, I guess, heading in to balance your own expectations. And that last point about the whole, you know, people think you should be challenging for the title. You need to you need to be ready for that because it's going to happen from Liverpool fans, Man United fans, City fans, Leicester fans, Tottenham fans, Wolves fans. It's going to happen from everybody. And you need to be ready to turn around and be like, look, guys, that gap is too big and it's no one's <laughs> fault. This team just needs to grow a little bit more and have another good window next time around to make sure that you can continue to close that gap. Yeah, completely agreed. Thank you so much for, for giving your insight, Sam. It's been brilliant and I'd love to have you on again in the future. 
yeah, no worries, man. Thank, enjoyed it. Uh, probably more Chelsea chat over the course of an hour than I've probably ever done. Uh, <laughs> but but happy to do so, and uh, I'm sure I'll speak to you again soon. Fantastic. And just to to say for people, um, Sam is is a a member of the Bleacher Report Football Ranks podcast, which is a fantastic podcast, which you should definitely go and check out. Um, and yeah, that that's it really. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as I said at the top, you can find us on our social media platforms. Please follow us on there. Uh, thanks once again, Sam, and we will see you next time.